Before we begin this week's episode of 86 History, I very quickly wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening to the show every week. It really means a lot to us when you write into the show, and we do take the time to respond to everyone. If you want your restaurant shout out on the podcast, you can write to us for any reason at all at letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram at letstalkaboutchef, or you can follow me personally at Chef Brian Clark. We know that you all have insanely busy lives, but if you can take one minute of them to rate and review the show on whatever platform you can find us on, we would really appreciate it. It really helps to spread the word about us. That's enough from me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, 86th History. They are here. They are among us. They slink through their cafes and bakeries and dance barefooted through the hemp fields, drinking the juice from nuts and laughing as they watch us drink the blood of the innocent. The anger that this episode will cause amongst them will be great and terrible. The wrath and destruction that they leave in their wake shows no mercy to those of us that choose to not only stare down our noses and sneer at the plant-based hippies, but those of us that know the truly great joy that eating bacon can bring. Animals are ours to devour. Given to us by God and other religious deities, killed and cooked to perfection every day. Every single day since the dawn of time, we human beings have shown our true mastery over our delicious servants, the animals. That is what I would say if I was a moron. That is what I would be saying if I were an unintelligent asshole with a bone to pick and a death wish. I have neither of those things, nor am I, in most cases, a moron. I am a chef, who the other day during casual conversation was asked how many animals did I think I was responsible for the death of. I was asked if I knew the number. I did not. After careful calculations on the prep list whiteboard, we determined that over the course of my career, I have been personally responsible for the death of tens of thousands of animals. I am not upset by this. I was not upset then, and I am not upset now. This is the career I chose and love, and the serious body count that I have racked up by placing orders, designing dishes, and making menus for the last 10 years, it should come as no surprise that to me or anyone else, if karma is real, then I have a very bad day coming. There has always been this one thing that I as a chef have known is coming for a very long time. I, like so many of you, also know the sheer pleasure and joy that comes from eating a perfectly cooked steak, pork belly, or fried chicken. That meat is delicious and wonderful. But eventually, with the rising cost to both our wallets and the sheer amount of destruction raising cattle, pigs, and chickens does to our world, that the raising and slaughter of animals commercially for their meat will one day go the way of the dodo bird. And unless you're rich, we will all be the thing that confuses us so much. We will all be vegans. Vegans and veganism are not going anywhere. They are not our enemies, and they are not, as some may think, a byproduct of whiny millennial bitches who don't want the animals from Charlotte's Web to end up on a plate somewhere garnished with parsley. They are not wrong. Maybe we have been wrong this entire time. Eventually, and probably not too far in the future, unless we meat-eaters resort to cannibalism and the hunting of children from other tribes, we will all be vegans. 
The world is changing. The Beyond Meat Burger is here to stay. Restaurants make efforts to accommodate vegans and vegetarians when only a few years ago, the thought would never go through the head of a chef to worry about the small faction of non-animal eaters. There is also the slightly disturbing thought that the big business of factory farming, a big business that literally caters to people like me, and the roots that they have growing through governments around the world have conveniently ignored the horrible impact that they have had on the planet while their bank accounts grow larger and larger. This episode will not make you vegan. I am not a vegan. I am not a vegetarian. I am a chef trying to understand who these people are and what they believe in. I am a chef trying to find the truth about the meat that I have eaten and served for the last decade. I am not trying to cause a war. I am not trying to anger anyone. If I do, that's on me, and I apologize. Both parties in this argument have a lot to be sorry for. Chances are, a lot of vegans attracted by carefully placed hashtags and photos on Instagram to promote this episode will have found it, listened to the first 27 seconds of it, turned it off, and now I am being picketed on my front lawn with effigies of my head burning slowly through the night. Let's hope we all stick around long enough to hear that today on Let's Talk About Chef, 86th history, the history, story, and unavoidable future world domination of vegans. They may have been right all along. Veganism is not a modern phenomenon. It was first written about by the Greek mathematician and philosopher Pythagoras in 500 BC. Yes, that one who invented the concept of the right-angled triangle. He also was a strict vegetarian at a time when that was basically inconceivable and wrote that the benevolence should be promoted among all species, not just humans. That being said, vegetarianism has been the practice of Buddhists, Hindus, who all believe that humans should not inflict pain on other animals. And that right there is the core belief that seems to ebb and flow through most vegetarians and vegans. They do not want to hurt animals. That's it. 
However forward-thinking the Far East may seem, the trend never really caught on here in the West, with meat dominating the lifestyle of North Americans for as long as we can remember. The meatless way of life only ever really seemed to pop up during massive health scares and during religious festivals. The Afrata Cloister, which were a strict religious cult that was started in 1732 in Pennsylvania, were all vegetarians. Growing and eating and foraging the food from the earth and ignoring the bounty of animals that were literally everywhere in the New World. That religious sect did not last very long, because as they were also vegetarian, they also believed in celibacy. The 18th century philosopher Jeremy Bentham wrote that he believed animal suffering was just as serious as human suffering and compared the thought that humans were superior to animals as a form of racism. The idea of superiority over other beings on earth is a core philosophy of being a vegetarian and a vegan. It is what drives most of them to become vegan. And that is a very simple and digestible thought. But as with all things, there are those that tend to take it a little bit too far. Like this. That goes on for another two minutes. The internet is full of videos of vegetarians and vegans picketing, chanting, pouring flake blood over themselves, and wrapping themselves up in plastic to protest the eating of animals, charging into restaurants that serve meat, and doing things like this.
just wants to live. Thank you. It is easy for those of us that do not follow in the footsteps of Pythagoras to laugh at videos like this. It would be easy for us to call this girl an idiot and move on. But my real question is why? Why are they so passionate and why do we so easily dismiss what they're saying? The first vegetarian society was founded in England in 1847. Three years later in America, the creator of the Graham Cracker, Sylvester Graham, founded the American Vegetarian Society. Sylvester Graham was a minister, and he called his followers Grahamites, who followed his example and believed that a virtuous life meant the principles of vegetarianism, temperance, and abstinence, and they also had to frequently bathe. It did not really catch on. In 1815, a London doctor named William Lamb claimed that drinking only water and eating a vegetable-only diet could cure anything from tuberculosis to acne, which isn't true. Lamb called food made from animals a habitual irritation and said that milk-eating and flesh-eating are branches of a common system and they must stand or fall together. Around the same time that Sylvester Graham was now preaching about what he called his Graham diet, several vegan communities began to pop up around the world, including one in Massachusetts. Gandhi, who was living in Britain for two years in 1931, gave a speech arguing that the eating of animals should be on moral grounds and not because of better health. The actual term vegan was invented by a British woodworker named Donald Watson in 1944. As a small child, he'd witnessed the slaughter of a pig and decided at that moment to no longer eat anything to do with animals. The term vegan was decided during a conference he held that was attended by four people. And the name comes from combining the first three letters of the word vegetarian along with the last two letters. Other names that were possible for the lifestyle were non-dairy vegetarian, vitin, benivore, sanivore, neo-vegetarian, and also vegan. The term vegan did catch on in Britain, and it was also helped because at the time, 40% of all cows in the country had tuberculosis, and beef was not being consumed. Watson began writing and distributing a newsletter to the growing number of followers of veganism, and in it he would write with almost propaganda-like phrases that all men and women should stop eating meat and using animal products of any kind. By 1962, the Oxford English Dictionary included the term vegan and defined it as a vegetarian who also ate no butter, eggs, cheese, or milk. Film director John Favreau and acclaimed LA chef Roy Choi made movie magic with the groundbreaking film Chef in 2014, and now they are back, cooking together, and they invited their friends for the ride. The Chef Show is now streaming on Netflix, and you can watch chef Roy Choi, who took LA and the world over with his Kogi food trucks, and John Favreau, who, you know, made Iron Man, in one of the most entertaining and fun food shows you will ever see. Subscribe to Netflix if you haven't already and get ready for the show that Forbes magazine has called the best food show Netflix has made yet. Veganism remained a counterculture diet throughout the rest of the century. It was adopted by hippies and then punks, but it wasn't until this decade, this one that we are living in, that vegans and veganism has exploded in popularity. 
Vegan stores, supermarkets, and food products can be found virtually everywhere. Vegan restaurants and cafes can be seen in every town you go to. When Donald Watson began writing his newsletter and championing the vegan diet, he was writing to only 25 people on a mailing list. By the time he died in 2005, there were 250,000 vegans in England and over 2 million people in the United States. And the trend since then has only grown. Why do we eat so much meat? Why do we ignore how terrible it is for our extremely fragile planet to raise and slaughter animals? Most North Americans have been told by our governments that eating meat two to three times a day is part of a healthy diet. However, eating large amounts of meats like bacon and hot dogs puts you at the same risk of getting cancer as being exposed to asbestos or smoking cigarettes. Meat production is responsible for 18% of all greenhouse gas emissions. 7 million acres of rainforest are bulldozed down every single year to make room for more land to raise cattle. And in America alone, every single minute, the equivalent of seven football fields is cleared to make room for animal agriculture. American-raised animals consume over 30 million pounds of antibiotics a year. To produce one pound of beef requires the use of over 1,800 gallons of water, and growing the food that it takes to feed all of these animals uses up to 56% of all fresh water available every year. To make one hamburger, one single hamburger, is the equivalent of driving your car for over 320 miles. That is a lot to take in. That is a lot to have to hear. But, as with all things, there is always another side to the story. The soybean industry is causing more harm and destruction to the planet than any other crop on Earth. The mass deforestization that it takes to try and keep up with the growing demand for soy milk, tofu, and soy oils is killing soil faster than ever before, but it is done under the guise of providing a healthy alternative to eating meat. Soy oil, the same oil that the soybean executive started to advertise the health benefits of, is more damaging to your heart than any other fat. The soybean industry knew of how damaging and bad it was for the environment, but still managed to run ad campaigns that demonized other trans fats and made us all believe that soy is the answer. By the time this episode is over, the equivalent of 200 football fields will have been destroyed to grow soybeans. Between the years 2000 and 2005, over 50,000 square miles of rainforest were destroyed for soy. To grow soybeans, you need to use acid-neutralizing lime, synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides, all of which are creating environmental hazards. The toxic chemicals used to contaminate the forest, poison the rivers, and also cause birth defects in humans. Soy literally destroys the ground it grows in. Eventually, there will be no ground left. The sheer amount of greenhouse gases emitted into the atmosphere as trucks, planes, and boats filled with fruits and vegetables from around the world try to keep up with the demand for them is terrible for the environment. Not to mention that the demand for avocados, the hipster brunch staple, is causing the poorer countries that grow them and use them as a staple in their diets, they can't afford to buy them anymore. Kenya was the world's sixth biggest producer of avocados, and they had to ban exporting them because too many people were growing hungry as companies made millions off of the increased popularity in America. 
It is not healthier to eat a strictly vegan diet. It is not better for the environment. It is not safe for children. And very large companies are raking in cash exploiting the people of poorer countries. Those are facts. I am not sorry for saying them. So what the hell are we going to do? I do not have the answers. I also did not know that my idea for a fun and interesting episode would leave me sitting at my desk struggling with how to close the show four days later. I eat meat. I enjoy eating meat. I have no plans on becoming a vegetarian or vegan and I am not sorry about that. However, I am going to buy everything from now on for my home and restaurant as locally as I can. Buying local seems to be the only answer. The idea that eating something, even if it is more expensive, but is not a danger to the environment is fine with me, and I will do that. You should probably do that too. The land that we have taken advantage of for so long is disappearing. There is no way around that. We need to eat less meat. We need to. We will all be eating less meat in the very near future anyway, so you might as well get used to it now. The popularity of veganism and vegetarianism will continue to rise. You, however, do not need to join their ranks or pick up a protest sign. The lifestyles that they have adopted will soon be the majority out of necessity. Don't be upset by that. It'll happen soon enough anyway. They are here, and they are caring about the planet and actually doing something about it, and that is not a bad thing. We can all do better. And maybe if it is the thought that you won't be able to buy delicious, wonderful bacon anymore that drives you to start changing how you and we all eat, then let's start now. We have done it. We have ignored everything for too long. We are the ones responsible. The fish are almost gone. The pigs and their gift of their bellies and chops will only remain in pictures and song lyrics about how delicious they once were. The soil has been ruined. The trees have all been burned down. But thank the religious figure of your choice that when the last tree falls and the last cow is killed, we get to eat the steak grown in Montana, packaged in Ohio, and eaten in New York alongside salad that was shipped in from Mexico with avocado from Kenya and some curry mayonnaise with soy grown in what's left of the Amazon and spices that were sailed over the Pacific from India. The dessert will be ice cream, made with milk from Ontario and strawberries that were picked four weeks ago in Peru, alongside lemonade that was made with sugar from Jamaica and lemons from both California and Florida. The coffee was grown in Ethiopia roasted in Seattle and shipped from Chicago and then sold to a market in Brooklyn. Eating like this doesn't make sense anymore. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark, and produced by Timothy McDonald. I want to give this week's shout out to the Black Sheep Restaurant in Cape Town, South Africa. If you are in the area, please stop in and say hello from us. If you want to write to us for any reason, please send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram or follow me personally at Chef Brian Clark. 
We are back next week with another new episode of Let's Talk About Chef. And until then, have a great service and have a great week.